Trans Story is an episodic podcast where each episode features an individual story from the transgender community. Season one, I sit down with my friends, friends of friends, and people in my social circles that I've gotten to know over the years to really sit down, have a heart-to-heart one-on-one, and discuss what it means to be transgender, what that experience is like, with the intent to hopefully inspire and educate others so that we can all be better humans. And Jordy, we know each other uh, via my lawyer. Yes, and my my uncle. (laughs) My attorney, who uh, I've known for for a really long time. And I really appreciate you being here and taking the time to um, be with us and share your story. Um, Would you mind just uh, setting up a little bit with uh, sort of your background and, you know, just exactly who you are? Totally. Uh, So my name is Jordy. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, I, I guess my professional background, I uh, went to film school. Uh, worked in the film industry for about six years. Um, recently, uh, almost, uh, gosh, about two years ago, started to go back to school to uh, become a psychologist, uh, working with LGBT and particularly trans folks, because my uh, transition was, of course, a very big uh, part of my life. And so I want to uh, give back for the positive experience that I had and hopefully be able to help other trans folks and other LGBT folks uh, work through their mental health struggles the way oh, that I did. that's awesome. So thank you. That's really, really great. So... Is that, I mean, that's kind of news to me that that's a track you can even take. Like, is that relatively new? It's really funny you mentioned that. So literally, um, the the reason that I chose my school that um, I'm going to, um, I I guess I can do a plug for uh, Antioch University, Los Angeles. Um, They, as far as I know, are the only LGBT psychology program and literally my uh, diploma will have LGBT specialization in LGBT affirmative psychology. Uh, wow. And there's, as far as I know, I'm, I'm hoping that there are, uh, I'm crossing my fingers, uh, other schools that are going to be opening up similar programs. But it's it's not as common as I would certainly like to hope as a mental health professional myself. But um, I'm hoping that things are getting better uh, on that regard. Well, it's an interesting background, too, and like a film and sort of entertainment background, which seems to cross over really well to a lot of things, because in that line of work you have a lot of experiences so it's interesting you mentioned that like at at first i was thinking like it's it's just sort of organically i i have been passionate about making movies since i was like six years old um but also too just you know i i came out about 10 years ago as trans and i'm also um, right now going through a, a similar process with my career identity as well um and so i was thinking to myself if i you know at the time i was thinking the film industry is is about as competitive as they said that it is. At least that's been my experience with it. And I really enjoyed it, but it just sort of looking at it long term and sort of thinking, what's my future here? How can I feel like I'm I'm getting out of it as much as I can, but also making ends meet too, because of course it's 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 very difficult. Yep. And I don't know that I was the best personality for it. I you know, I like to think that I can hold my own and be assertive, but I am um, you know, I don't like to step on people's toes. You you're not a shark. No, I am not a shark. <laughs> that is very much yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. You know, but so there was a part of me that I've been now seeing the same therapist who I love for um the past ten years. Um, and so therapy uh, has been a big part of my life just sort of in general and certainly also as a uh, trans and a queer person. And so I was thinking, you know, if I'm making this career change, maybe this makes sense. And so I, I, it, in some ways it felt like a bit of a leap of faith, but it's been really, it's been, it's been far more impactful even than I thought that it would be. And to, um, you know, it's been, it's been helpful for me, but also to feel like I can, give back for, I feel like I am very privileged in any number of ways, not least of which that 
I had as you know smooth of a transition in many ways as I did, which I'm sure I'll get into. Well, you mentioned that, and and so you said two things that that's interesting that I think for somebody that's listening, you could clarify. Sure. Somebody that's not had that experience. Right. So you said you have your trans story, sort of that trans coming out experience, and then your queer identity story. Can you talk about the differentiation between those two? Totally. Uh, no, it's, it's really funny because just I'm so used to just in my line of work that, um, you know, some of these things. Not are, everybody knows. Not everybody knows. Right? Exactly. So um, to clarify, certainly, I mean, just to go back to the basics of it, which I think is really important. And, you know, yeah, even as somebody experiencing it, I'm still um, kind of grappling with it a little bit, too, is, of course, Gender identity and sexual orientation are two different things. Um, and um, so I think for me, so I, when I first started to come out as trans, I was thinking, I guess that was for me, uh, my gender identity was much more sort of front and center compared to my sexuality at the time. Um, that was just my experience. Certainly everybody has a completely different uh, take on it. Um, for me, it, it my being trans was definitely something that was just, I needed to address it. And so kind of once I started to work through some of my gender identity issues, kind of these other things that were always kind of in the background uh, started to come up. So, for instance, and when did that show up? It's interesting. I mean, like, I look, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? right? So um, I'm attracted to women. And so I think for me, you know, looking back on it, it's almost like because I first started to feel, you know, I started to sort of acknowledge I didn't have the words at the time for it, but my. I started feeling trans, for lack of a better term, when I was about four years old. Okay. Um, so super early for me. That's you know that's just my experience. Um, not everybody will have the same experience, but looking back on it, um, you know, I was. I think I have always been attracted to women um, in one form or another. Um, but so you know, at the time when I was, I was still at the time living as a male, as a boy, and so you know, it was a different lens that I was looking at it through. Um, versus, you know, like now it's like, I, I feel like in one way or another, I've kind of always, I've always been the identity that I am. And so now in hindsight, I can look at those same experiences, for instance, when I was attracted to, you know, to girls in my class at the time, like, and even Miss Barback is like elementary school and sort of had crushes and everything that those for me are, you know, those are part of my lesbian identity. But at the time I, you know, was it was much more for me of a focus of looking at at the time I was, you know, grappling with my gender identity. And so I think for me, kind of coming back to um, after I started transitioning, that probably was about probably two or three years into my transition. I've been transitioning for about 10 years now, or rather into my um, living as my authentic self. And so uh, it was relatively early on that I think some of these other things around my sexuality started to come up, but definitely not right away. And I think that was just in my in my own particular sort of mental health and developmental experience that my gender identity kind of came first. Yeah, because a lot of people would think that those things are just exclusive. You're growing up as a young boy, right. you got raging hormones, you're attracted to w women, and they're like, hey, fine. Right, exactly. Like, but sexuality and then your alignment with your body and your mind, like we talked about previously, sure. is a thing. So it's like many people would just say, well, why? Right. Would, what's the problem why, with Yeah, that, what's right? the problem there? <laughs> right. Sure. I think in some ways that was part of what was looking back on it. So kind of, you know. I was having these feelings of like, is this okay? Because I mean, at the time I, I didn't even really have the words for it, but at least I was in sort of a trans kind of experience. And, you know, like, at, like it's like you were just saying. So if, if one is 
uh, ostensibly male identified or at least living as a male attracted to women like what's the problem with that but for me I sort of had distress around it that you know certainly nobody else but me was acknowledging because I I I didn't I hadn't come out till I was 21 really right and a decade ago is a different time than it is today anyway and we're still not there yet we're still not there yet so if you identify with that at four like what were the teenage years like and then when did you come out to the family and I was grappling with it it was the kind of thing at least for me I guess going back to the very beginning so I I first kind of came out and it I'd sort of at the time looking back on it didn't do it quite the way that I had meant to um I first told my uh, my mom uh that I uh, about my being trans when I was probably 13 or so I think wow. I was in middle school yeah. Um, and at the time, like, I, I don't think I kind of chose my words quite right. It, it was, it felt a little kind of, it wasn't the way that I had wanted to do it. And so I think my mom was supportive at the time, which, and she might just to preface this, my parents have been amazing. And so I want to give them huge props for sure nice. for being as supportive as they are. Um, cause I think that's huge and I can get into it more is. of that. Yeah. At the time, my mom was kind of like, I, I think she could kind of hence, or I'd rather sense my hesitation a little bit. It was kind of almost like this was something that was very much in development. We're going to kind of leave it on the back burner. And so, um, right. and see what happens with you it. You can change your mind. Totally. Yeah. Right. Which I, you know, I totally at the time, um, I guess was like, I can, I can see this, but I think, you know, looking back on it in hindsight, that there was a lot of shame that came up for me around that. And so I, I kind of pushed it down. Um, and it was the kind of thing where, at least at that point, I sort of knew that my trans identity was always there. But it was the kind of thing where just it, it didn't feel like the right time to bring it up. So I, I think I kind of repressed it, for lack of a better term. But of course, that only made it worse. And um, I was sort of thinking that it would, you know, this is something I don't I don't get this, but it's either, you know, it's probably going to go away on its own. And so I kind of let it be. But then, of course, it just it kept growing and sort of that um, tension between uh, it continuing to to kind of grow in the back uh, right. background. And my feeling like I can't acknowledge it was, you know, that was really hard. And I remember being very depressed a lot in high school. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm sure like there were other things, of course, that all of us as adolescents get depressed about. But that um, it's almost like this was here, but I couldn't talk about it. And I think that experience for sure. And you have your home life and then you have your friend's life, too. And those are very different you know, that's a time when you're sort of like finding out who you are outside of the house as right. well. And like, right. there are different sets of issues with all of that. Right. Adolescence, it almost seems like every other thing is just, it's not just, you know, it's, there's either, it's either nothing or it's crisis mode. That's just, I think <laughs> yeah. that's, it's yeah. kind of a lot of, at least that was my experience yeah. as an adolescent, certainly. But yeah, I remember that being very difficult. And I would, uh, you know, sort of towards the end, I think of high school, there were, I remember, you know, using the internet, of course, a lot, which was, you know, it's, uh, I think now become huge for the LGBT and particularly for, for trans folks, um, you know, being able to connect with people who you might not otherwise um, be able to, you know, to connect with. Um, and so that was uh, one way that I was able to uh, kind of in, in secret at that point, be able to um continue to develop as a trans person and just explore, like just have that ability to acknowledge some of these things. Um, it was mostly like watching YouTube videos, other things kind of online. But um, I didn't really actually come out for good until, um, gosh, I mean, so once I actually, it's it's really funny, at least from my experience, like the, when I when I came out and when I started to transition were two pretty different um, t- uh, yeah. benchmarks, basically, right. uh, points in time. 
And so um, I first started to come out and sort of start to, I guess the first person who I told was in, uh, was one of my friends. Uh, I was a junior, I think maybe a sophomore in college. So, so your um, mother was first right. and then friend. Exactly. Well, so I guess my mom was first like way back when. Right. And then, but once I actually, you know, kind of came out for good, for lack of a better term, um, I told my friend first and sort of, um, I guess at the time it was important to me to kind of have my friends kind of yeah. to, to be there for support. Um, and then eventually I told my mom. Um, and so, uh, who was pretty supportive and I, you know, like I have to give her huge props for that for sure. So this was later when you'd kind of brought it up in your early teen years. And this is when you're like gauntlets thrown down. This is happening. Totally. I mean, it was the kind of thing, at least this is my experience that there was just so much shame around it. And just, I didn't know anybody else who was trans Where do you think that time. came from? I mean, a multitude of things, maybe, you know, I don't, have you been able to identify I think like a lot of things and certainly coming from the mental health background that I do now, it's, you know, it's never any one thing. It's sort of, it's very um, collective. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's almost hard to tease out any one thing. Certainly there is, you know, it's, I I like to hope, and I know it's sort of a line that we say, but I really do genuinely like to hope that things are getting better for trans folks. There's still so much, uh, I don't want to swear, but so many things. Oh, well, there's so much shit, frankly, that's (laughs) going on. And um, it's, things are, are, need to change. There's lots that still needs to happen, but I like to think at least that we are at least in some measure sort of trending upward. But, um, you know, even uh, this was, gosh, this would have been 10 years ago now um, when I first started to come out that um, I, you know, was really trying to, I was trying to get as much kind of, you know, incremental support as I could before I sort of made that. Test the water. Yeah. That big leap of faith for sure. Right. Um, And so that didn't for me happen until I was in, um, like I said, in college. And I think a lot of that was just internalized shame because, you know, um, I didn't know anybody else who was trans as far as I knew. Um, You know, basically there was something inside me that said it's not okay to be trans. I sort of had internalized transphobia, if that's a a term that um, a lot of listeners are are familiar with. But that, yeah, I think that hit me pretty hard. And so, um, and what was really interesting, and I, at least there are, of course, lots and lots of horrible stories that I've heard from folks about them not receiving support and even outright, you know, complete rejection from kicked their families. Kicked out families. of their house. It's no, awful. Yeah, yeah that it, exactly. At best, even kicked out of their house, right. if not worse. Um, and so for me, I received a lot of support. Like, it, basically, my greatest fears, what ended up happening was the opposite, that I was, I've been extremely lucky Um and I'm very grateful that I had as much support and I continue to have as much support from um, my family and my friends um, around my being trans. Like it's it's been about as opposite as my fears as, it, as I think it could have been. Right. So which I'm very grateful for. When you m- mentioned so many things that need to be addressed, what would you say are your like top five issues, you know, because you're studying this. So right. it's kind of interesting coming from you as somebody who's actually made this a profession. Right. What from your perspective, what are the what are those like top things that need to be addressed? Totally. Or, so it's really interesting and it, I mean we could I'm sure if we had a lot more time we could go into it quite a bit. But that um so for instance like we we talk about the trans community as being sort of one group of folks, which in some ways it is. But so for instance I, I am a white person and so I'm also a very privileged uh, person, both in general and in my being trans. 
Um, and so, you know, for instance, when I think about like my needs or like what I wish that I could change for me, um, you know, in terms of how, for instance, society sees trans folks, that's going to be very different than what, um, for instance, you know, trans folks of color um, and particularly like non-binary folks um, who, you know, uh, are completely in a lot of ways um, kind of they're they identify differently than a lot of the sort of stereotypes are about trans folks. Um, and so basically intersectional identities come into play for sure. And that, um, I guess the greater bullet point there that I, I hope that I can convey is that um, there are a lot of common threads, but that it's almost, you know, depending on which part of the trans population you're talking about, that's, you know, a very different question in terms of what, um, what the needs are and sort of what... Um, I hope that will change over time to make uh, the situation better for folks. Yeah, well, and education and understanding is a big, big deal. And I think some people it's sort of daunting because it's yes. like, like, okay, I got this. I got the gay thing. I got this thing. Now we're doing the right. trans thing. Now, now I've got a non-binary. And I think some people just sort of go like, oh my god, yeah, they kind right. of roll their eyes. Just they to kind be of roll their eyes. They throw up their hands because they're like, right. how many things do we need? And and that's sort of just like a. I don't know what the right word is, not a defense, but it's just kind of like, you're already trying to get people to sort of change an opinion or become educated on things. And you're like, yeah, but then there's a whole encyclopedia, which is just how it is. Right. But like, maybe there's a, I I mean, you know, and you can't prioritize one over the other, but it's like, we were even getting into conversations about pronouns and stuff. It's like, there comes a point when someone who's resistant to this stuff that's on the opposite side is just going to be like, all right, you know what? That's too much for me. Right. It's totally. And it's, I will say too, like, it's a lot for me, like even as somebody who's yeah. going through it, it's, and you know, it's, it's some, of course not something that can happen overnight, even though in some ways it really needs to. Um, but I do think it's, it's a little bit, uh, I mean, certainly the people that are in the know, like myself, and that's one of the reasons why I chose to go back to school is that, you know, I do have the privileges and the opportunities that I do. Um, and so I want to, you know, to do what I can to help, but that I think, at least speaking from my experience working in mental health, um, there's just, there's, it is, of course, being somebody who myself has, has experienced anxiety and depression and um, gender dysphoria, for sure, that um, it's it's very vulnerable to be somebody who's experiencing, you know, challenges in your mental health. And to, it's a huge, huge, you know, effort just to get yourself into a therapist's office. Oh, yeah. For sure. A lot and, of people just are like, I don't, I'm not broken, or they don't want to be, or whatever. Right. It's not and about there's such being a stigma, broken. Totally. It's not about being broken. It's, it's just not about, about it. right. elevating what you already have to work with. Exactly. Um, no, I think you bring up a really good point is there's, you know, there's such stigma against mental health and mental health conditions and just, you know, like even, uh, you know, just in terms of government programs and funding, like there's, there is so much stigma about mental health, uh, period. And then when you add that on top of stigma about being trans, stigma about being It's like two queer, of the biggest right. things that and have also, stigmas and right. push them together. Yeah. Totally. And if you're also someone who is, you know, non-binary or also someone who's a person of color, like all of these stigmas add up and that is just that's harder to deal with even on your best day let alone when you're also experiencing mental health can you as a professional tell the listener a little bit about what non-binary like can we get into that a little bit yes of course no thank you all the way because they're going to be here for five hours exactly but maybe Um, the you know the reader's digest abridged version sure for instance okay so um it's a really good point and i uh thank you for for asking um so my understanding of, of uh, non-binary folks is so we sort of think of male and female as kind of being the two genders, but 
at least in my experience of it and the way that I know a lot of other folks um, who are trans uh, look at gender is that um, you know, one way of looking at gender is it's on a spectrum. For instance, there, male and female are two components, but sort of how how male someone sees themselves, That's how a female. Ratio. It's exactly when you get into queer theory, which is a whole different thing. Even that kind of goes out the window, and that you know, gender is just kind of one way of looking at the world. But there's, it's, it is, it has its own limitations, and in some ways, it's not even doesn't even really tell us all that much. Um, so, but for instance, uh, a lot of folks who I know who are bi- uh, identify as gender non-binary in one way or another, their pronoun may be they. Um, for instance, they may not um, identify as either male or female, or they may identify as both. And they may, um, how male they see themselves or how female or how uh, how um, not having a gender. It really, really depends on the individual person. And so I'm trying very hard not to generalize Yeah, no, but here. I mean, like one thing Dude, of saying so. to not have a gender, right. I mean, there's science applied to chromosomes, all these things. You know, right. So it's like, does it get to a point where people are just, that is more of a rebellious phase where it's like, I don't like any of this, which is understandable. I mean, I totally get it. You're like, I don't want it to be black and white. I don't right. want it to be just red or blue. I want it to be, I just want to neutralize this and I'm going to say they. So we tend to think of, uh, at least society tends to tell us that male and female are sort of the two genders. That's kind of the end of the conversation. But for a lot of trans folks, um, a way of maybe explaining it, folks who identify as, uh, or rather their their pronoun is they versus uh, she or he, uh, may identify as both genders, may identify as neither. And that may also change um, depending on the day for some people. The way that I like to look at it, and, and something that's really important to me as a um, LGBT and particularly a trans affirmative therapist, LGBTQ therapist, is to really let, um, you know, let the client drive the conversation. There can be a lot of sort of gatekeeping, I think, that happens, particularly the medical side of transitioning. Um, for instance, um, that can include surgeries, that can include hormones, um, all the different things, which I can also get into. Letting somebody basically uh, be able to acknowledge and to feel um, you know, confident and feel affirmed in how they see themselves and see the world, I think can be really important and really um, essential to help somebody be able to start to overcome some of the internalized stigma that they have. Because, you know, there's nothing worse where someone is feeling, you know, they might be feeling depressed, they might be feeling anxious, they might have other mental health concerns. Um, and, you know, somebody, for instance, like a family member saying, oh, you're not trans, you're just going through a phase. Right. That can be so devastating for people. And even just to let them, st- literally, like just the question, how, well, how do you feel, can be so incredibly important. And at least, you know, I, I haven't actually started working with clients yet, but in my own experience from therapy and from what um, a lot of other folks have told me that, you know, even sometimes you, as a therapist, you can be the first person in that person's life asking them, well, what is it like for you? Right. And well, and as a parent, too, it's like right. your teenage years, everything's crazy. Right. With, notwithstanding that. Right. So you're just kind of and, and it's typical. I mean, we I everybody, your parents do the best job that they can, but yes. also they kind of throw everything out in the window. They're like, you're just crazy. You're 15. And right. You know, like, That's a really important question, though, it's too. Something that it's, happens. Right. But it's all around that time. Yes. You know, yes. a lot often. Totally. And it's it's really interesting because there's now there's a lot of research that I've seen, um, you know, in terms of the mental health aspect working with kids is, uh, you know, for instance, I actually one of the places that I went for my medical transition was Children's Hospital Los Angeles, which has a great program. And I'm really grateful that I was able to go there. You know, they've got kids there sometimes four or five years old saying, you know, that they're feeling trans. And so it, it's a really big, you know, even for parents who are super supportive, it's like, 
do we let our kid, you know, do that? And it's a I, tough call. It's a really tough call. And I think, you know, at least um, this is, again, just my experience of it, but that there's now, they call them hormone blockers, basically, where they can, usually not as young as, you know, five or six, but once kids start to sort of get to their natural time in their lives while they'll be starting puberty, basically, because, you know, and I certainly went through this myself, there's nothing more devastating than seeing your body basically do and change, you know, exactly. The direction you don't want it right, to go. Right, literally. It's right. like if you see, at least Horrifying. for me, if you see yourself as female and you're starting to develop as male, that's that's about as scary a thing as you can, you know, experience as a kid, or certainly up there. And so being able to um, to have, you know, as a, as a treatment intervention, hormone blockers is a really new, it's a relatively new thing, but can at least, it's, they're pretty well tolerated from what I understand. It can basically just stop the puberty process from happening. And so that can be a really, you know, for parents, that can be like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing for my kid? But as far as, uh, as far as I know, and as far as what the studies show is that essentially once you, you know, if, if a kid, for instance, um, realizes, hey, you know, this this was this seemed like the right thing at the time, but maybe I'm not actually trans. Maybe this isn't the right thing. Is that you can pretty much stop puberty blockers and basically restart the the natural puberty process. Hmm. So it's a really it's and it's it's huge. I don't mean to minimize it all. Well, no, like but it's not. A, it's not just. A, so. a, it's not a light switch. Right, exactly. And so it, it's, I think parents, at least parents who do come from a place of wanting to help, which I, I wish that there are more parents who do come from that place, is like, you know, what am I, you know, it's, it's scary to sort of let your kid, particularly someone who, which it, it, society tells us that sort of kids are it's still developing, which of course they are. And that um, it's scary to sort of let them drive, so to speak, when it comes to these kinds of issues. But, you know, for instance, if I at the time, you know, had felt less shame and felt able to come out to my parents even earlier than I did, I think it would have been hugely helpful for me to at least have the option to know that, A, it's okay to be trans, and B, if you wanted to start transitioning earlier, that that's an option. Right. Um, and just being able just to have those 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 options. I think well, is what really was important. your personal experience? We sort of skipped over that a little sure. bit earlier. But like at what, what was your age? What were the steps? What was the direction that you and your family? I mean, I don't know sure. who weighed in. You know? Totally. So uh, that's, I guess, another, I won't you know try to get into it too much, but it's, I think it is the transition process, of course, is different for everybody, but that it can also be very different depending on what age you start. And so generally speaking, and this, this is true for the most part, that sort of the earlier that you start transitioning in terms of where your natural sort of um, adolescence begins, the more likely you are to have um, basically secondary sex characteristics, all the things that um, as a trans person, feel like are sort of the affirming changes that you want to see in your body. For instance, if you are transitioning when you're 16 versus when you're 25, that's going to be a, a pretty different... Um, well, and there's people that choose that after they're 40. Literally, exactly. And there's also, it's really important, the the social aspects of that too. So for instance, if you transition when you're 40, you, you know, you've got you've got your path your life already lived in a particular gender that um is it's not the one that you would have that that feels authentic for you and so that can be very scary too is sort of navigating the all of the social aspects in addition to everything else about being trans right i mean if you meet all your friends through college and you've transitioned prior 
Right. There's not a lot less of a right. change. It's, it's a, exactly. And I think um, sort of it's another thing about just there's there's no sort of one way to be trans. And no. I think that's almost that's, true. That's de- we've definitely established that here. Exactly. And so um, sort of when looking at what's the transition process like, A, that's individual for everybody. And it's certainly very, uh, it can vary a lot depending on what um, what time in your life, biologically speaking, you start your transition and also all of the social aspects too that come up. So if, if you're already, you know, if you're married and you have kids, that's a huge um, change for somebody versus if you're, you know, you're 16 or even 20, like I was, um, and beginning your gender transition process, that's a very different experience um, and tons of ways, you know, mental health wise, uh, in terms of what, what specifically do you do? And so at least for me, um, you know, my transition was, basically telling my parents and sort of getting that process started and getting over that hurdle, which felt at the time like the biggest thing that I'd ever done in my life, basically. Because I think in my head, I was sort of experiencing like, this is, you know, this is a huge leap of faith. I don't know what's going to happen. Probably it's not going to be good, but I needed to do it. And I think, you know, for a lot of folks that can mean, and I, I don't think for me it quite got to this point, but, you know, a lot of times the choice can be between transitioning and suicide sometimes. It, yeah, it's, it seems it's, to be. Right. When, you know, it's sort of life or death is kind of a line that we throw out sometimes, but it can really, the stakes can be that high yeah. for folks for sure. And so for me, like I was just, it was, it was an incredible amount of relief to have my parents be supportive. Like it certainly it took them time to adjust. And I think it's an important thing to acknowledge too, that, you know, like, um, they're not just like, great, they're not a just cake like, great. and let's sometimes have a party. They are, like, which I mean, is yeah, awesome. And I, I, would, yeah. I would love for more people to be like that. Right. But, um, you know, like the folks that we come out to, uh, who are even folks who are supportive go through their own transition too, in a way. And so it can be very hard sometimes where it's like, you know, I've been thinking about this for like literally 20 years, like my entire life. And then to have somebody be like, you know, I'm supportive of you, but like, I do have some worries, like, you know, in, in hindsight, I can be like, that makes total sense. But at the time it's like, well, I want to, like, I want to move through this now. Yeah. So um, that can lead to some tension too. Um, and so I think for me, it was, you know, uh, coming out to my parents was sort of the first step. Then I was trying to sort of figure out, okay, like, what do I do now? And like, um, from my own experience, and certainly this is not true of everybody, I um, felt like I did need to change my physical body. Um, right. And so for me, that was through hormones. Um, and so I, um, basically the other thing that's really important to talk about too, and I th- it's, things are changing, but they're, there's a lot of gatekeeping that can happen in terms of where, um, you know, for instance, there are standards of care, which particularly as a mental health clinician myself are in training at least, are super important and it's important to keep those in mind. But that um, there's a lot of gatekeeping that can happen. For instance, you um, to have um, gender confirmation surgery like I've had um, as well, this was later on, you need to have, uh, you have to be living as your quote unquote, your assigned or rather your um your preferred, gender. your preferred gender, exactly, for I think at least a year. Um, that's changing, um, and I'm glad that it is, but uh, historically that's been the case. So you have to sort of go through that, which for folks that might feel, you know, incredibly oppressive and um, not affirming. You also need to have, um, you know, to be seeing a, a therapist at that time too, and get um, a lot of times it's two letters of recommendation. Again, that you know, this is changing, so I don't want to, I don't want to say that this is the hard and fast rule. But as it is today, that's kind of the general. Yeah, it's there's just a lot of hoops to jump through, and you, you almost need to convince. It just it, at the time it almost feels like you need to convince other people that you are trans, which you felt your entire 
entire life. And then you've had a hard time to even come to that realization. Right. And then you have to like parade it around. Exactly. That, that, that is kind of ridiculous. It is like, a to, little to just ridiculous. justify who you are. You have to justify who you are just because somebody else says like, oh, well, it's somebody else's, you know, right. role basically, which is awful. Yeah. Um, you know, but fortunately that's changing a little bit. Um, but that was at least my experience. And so, um, yeah, I mean, so I started to do hormones and, you know, that was hugely important for me like it just it's was that some of, sense of immediate relief or sort of like oh we're going in the right direction here at yeah least. totally it's it's funny you mentioned that because like i guess there's sort of a stereotype sometimes that like you know hormones work like right away which i wish that they did but the even just sort of psychologically speaking knowing that you are able you're, you've finally kind of gotten to this point that you've been thinking about for so long and to have people start to you know use the right pronouns and all the different things I think that psychologically speaking, even if it's not the hormones themselves that are doing that, is huge. Helps. Yeah. For sure. And that for me, you know, was pretty immediate. <laughs> you know, hormones are their own kind of world. Like there's there's a whole different, uh, there's different regimen, there's different sort of ways of- well, and medical um, advancements change all totally, the time. Right. Um, that's, that's something that's really important with all of this. It's just, it's, you know, what we're talking about now will be different, I guarantee you, this Next time, year. five years from now. Yeah. yeah or even five, even, yeah. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, so that was my experience. I um, was on estrogen, at least for me. And this is, I think, something that I knew at the time, but sort of you have to kind of experience to to really sort of have it sink in is um, hormones take a long time to right. to actually start to show results. And, and different for every person. Different for every person. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, for instance, like depending on how old you start. So a lot of, you know, the people that I met in a lot of the support groups at Children's Hospital were a lot younger than I am. And so, for instance, they were seeing different changes that, you know, I was never going to see. And so that was kind of devastating at the time, too. At least psychologically speaking, it's again, it's a little bit of a trope kind of that we talk about trans folks going through, particularly with um, medical transition, but also a social transition, too, that you do kind of have a second adolescence, really. Like you you're kind of in this a little bit of a vulnerable bubble where you kind of need to just go with the flow in some ways. And that's. It's a learning experience for sure, because you, at least for me, like I was living as a male for, you know, the first 20 years of my life, which um, certainly I, you know, even when I transitioned somewhat older than some people do, I'm still super young. So, and that's something that I, you know, I'm trying to be very conscious of too. Yeah, it's, there's a much, there's a learning process where you, and eventually you, you kind of go through your second adolescence quicker than you went through your first one, or at least that was my experience. But there is a bit of like a, it's like you've finally done all of these things and it's now like you're actually on the road to um, either starting or actually being in your transition process and you still have to wait. And that's, that process can really suck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can sure. imagine. When, what was what was following that up? What was the n- next step for you? Sure. So I, I think something that's also huge and that I didn't even realize at the time, but was huge for me is being able to have a community and to meet other people who are going through the same thing that you are at the same uh, time that you are is super, super important. And so I think, um, you know, that was something that I was aware of at the time. And even in hindsight, like I could not have done this by myself. Like it was just never going to happen. And so that's another thing I think that's really super important too, um, in terms of mental health, working with trans folks and with LGBTQ folks in general, is that the support process, or rather the importance of support is huge. Like you, I can be the best therapist that I can be, for instance, but if my client still doesn't have enough support, you know, in their daily life when they're not seeing me, it's, you know, the success that they're going to experience won't be very high. Right. And and again, like 
being in Los Angeles, that's a different world right. than uh, being somewhere in middle America that may be incredibly totally. repressed. Exactly. And that's the person you really need to reach. Exactly. And like, it's in, so I think that just, I try to, you know, to give a sort of a bit of a perspective, like I am as privileged as I am in any number of ways. Um, and that, you know, I still went, I felt like I went through some shit when I was transitioning in Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, you know, and so like, I couldn't imagine doing this like in Texas, like, right. you know, I'm sure there's, there's lots of really great um, organizations now that are in sort of middle America um, and the Western parts of, uh, rather than sort of parts of the U.S. that um, are sort of stereotypically less affirming towards um, gender and sexually diverse folks. Um, but it's where you live, I think, is super important. And there's, there are you know, we still don't have enough resources here for folks in Los Angeles. And it's just as difficult as it is here, it's exponentially worse other places. Yeah. For sure. Well, and as people become more aware and, and there's less shame around it, that's, it's it's more commonplace than people realize. Right. And now it's just sort of like, it, it's just being visible, you know? And it's Visibility like, and, and, is huge. And now it, it, hopefully the pendulum swings where it's even in those places, or if not, they can get out of there and make a move to the place that's more uh, better for their lifestyle. But that's not easy either, especially right. when you're young. You know, if totally. you're like, it's, it's like somebody, the, the days of people hitchhiking and doing it's just, right. that's not a good idea anymore. You know, right. it used to be a little different. And now it's, it's, it's all, it seems to me at least to be almost impossible to just pick up and drop into a, a metropolis like Los Angeles, especially right. as a trans person. It's super hard. And like, just my heart just goes out to like folks like in Texas, like in other places that are parts of the country and parts of the world that are stereotypically, or at least historically, not affirming towards um, LGBTQ folks. And it's, you know, if you are a person of color who, for instance, might not, um, you know, be very high income and might not have the, the ability to move from where you are, what do you do then? And that's, you know, it's, as difficult as sort of it is to figure out, you know, a place like well, Los Angeles. Well, the internet again is maybe a good yeah. place right. for at least to start, you know, to start to explore possibilities and right. more resources there would definitely be good too. I, I don't so. know if we hit sure. on it, but so after you did hormones, you then, what was the next step for you? I mean, like, as far as medically and physically? Sure. So uh, I think for me, and again, like not everybody uh, goes through a transition the same way or has the same goals. But so for me, I, medical transition for me looked like uh, hormones and then um, eventually about, so it was probably two and a half years roughly into my transition and starting hormones, I was really interested in having um, gender confirmation surgery as well. And so for anybody who's not familiar with that, um, for me, that was um, changing uh, my genitals to be more uh, consistent with how uh, I see my gender um, internally and mentally and to um, better align sort of my inner gender and my outer gender. And so, um, you know, that was really important for me to do. And that was, you know, that, so things actually are getting better in terms of insurance covering um, right. some of those procedures. At the, I had to go completely out of pocket for mine. Um, and this was only what, probably this was 2012 when I had mine. So um, things are changing, but certainly um, for it's very expensive. And it's also, it's, it's one of the more invasive, you know, medical procedures that you can have. Right. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about this too much, but just I had a really bad complication where I, you know, I basically hemorrhaged and I had to go to the hospital. I, I had to have two blood transfusions. It was a big wow. deal. 
Um, fortunately, that you know, hemorrhaging is a risk. Uh, hemorrhaging as much as I did is pretty rare. But these procedures are a big deal, um, and they're very expensive. They're very invasive, and they have lots of you know complications that can happen too. So it's you know, a lot of times people are like, particularly folks who think that it's it's a choice to be trans. Like it's people would not do this just willy-nilly like, no that's a <laughs> these very are huge serious step. deals totally right. and i will say too so it's a relatively at least by comparison a relatively straightforward procedure for folks who are more um, female identified or at least are having um procedures to, uh, like uh, vaginoplasty is, is right. the procedure that i had and so for folks who you know may be born with uh, a vagina and are wanting to have more male stereotypically male genitalia um, that's an even bigger procedure and far more invasive and far more expensive. So right. it's, you know, these are these are huge deals, you know, are not something that people should, you know, should take on lightly. And I, I think there are a few people that do. Um, but also, too, that sort of other folks who, you know, in sort of the gatekeeping world in the medical community, um, you know, it's important to make sure that people are making informed decisions about their bodies. But at the same time, like, we wouldn't be doing this if it were not, you know, hugely important. Right. So I think it's that's an important thing. And then did you feel sort of a new increased amount, level of happiness or something, or sort of feeling complete, aligned, whatever you want to say, like, when all of that was said and done? And it's was funny there you mention else? that. Yeah, no, it's so, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced this, but that for me, like, there is very much like a, you have your gender confirmation surgery and like, everything's going to be great. But of course, that's not what happens. It only, it, it just changes your genitals. That's all that it does. And so if you've got other things going on in your mental health, other things about your body that, um, at least like for me, you may feel insecure about, it's not going to change those things. Right. And so, um, you know, something that I think we don't talk about nearly enough in general, let alone in the mental health community too, um, is that, you know, post-gender confirmation surgery depression is a thing that a lot of folks go through because you have these really huge sort of expectations of, you know, what this is going to change everything. I'm going to be super happy. My life's going to be great after this, which for some folks, maybe that's true, but that's not guaranteed. And so, um, you know, I tried to be, at least at the time, be as prepared as I could for sort of the aftermath, too, because something, too, that people don't talk about as much is, like, there's a lot of um, aftercare that happens, too. So, you know, you really have to um, to be on the game with that. It's, you know, once you have it, it's not one and done. So there's, you know, the recovery process sort of start to finish is about, it can be almost like a year or more, mm. really, to before you actually sort of see your final results. Sort of the, the more dangerous period sort of is roughly the first three months or so. Right. Also, too, um, you know, from a mental health perspective, kind of having this, you know, basically part of your body that's super important, your, your genitals, um, not, you know, look like they, not like you would expect them to, and certainly them kind of looking more like an open wound, basically, for a long period of time is something that, um, you know, you can do as much sort of reading about it and thinking about it as you can, but it's something you, you kind of have to experience, I think. At least that was my experience. That can be kind of devastating, too, where it's like you've had all these vex expectations and you, you kind of have an open wound on your body yeah. and like an important part of your body at that. Right. Yeah. Like in hindsight, like it's it has been it's it is exactly what I needed to do to feel better about my body. And so but at the time, you know, it was I don't think I was quite there, mentally speaking. And you I mean, so. you don't have that experience. You you would only have that experience right. by going through it, you know? So <laughs> exactly. it's like, and I so. think it is awesome and helpful that you can come and tell your story as well too, for Thank people, you. 
to manage expectations because that's yeah, a thing. Yeah, it's huge. You know? to- and like, I, I will also preface this too. It's not too, a prize. That, you don't get right. a gold star at the end, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, and I don't want to dissuade people from no, doing it too. No, not at it's, all. It's hugely important. But and, it's part of many things. Right, exactly. It's like so many things. It's got both good aspects and bad aspects. And that I think, you know, for me as a therapist, particularly working with, um, you know, trans folks who might be uh, feeling like they, they would feel affirmed to have some of these procedures, helping them to, not to scare anybody way but to make sure that they know what they're getting themselves into as much as possible and not getting in their way either and sort of finding that balance in some ways between i don't you know obviously i don't want to be a gatekeeper that's i've been there myself i don't want to do that but to um you know to help people make the best decisions that they can about their own bodies and their own gender identities and mental health yeah, I mean, you have a unique perspective to be a person who can assist right. with that while that gatekeeping still exists. So yes. that's really awesome. You'll Thank be a future you. letter writer. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that we can uh, get out of that letter writing procedure too. Yeah, so, it seems kind of like, yeah. And I've heard that from more than one, you know, people that it's like, why is this even a thing? It's totally. You know? I mean, I am still getting, it, this is a new world for me too. And it's, I don't to pro- uh, proclaim to be an expert in it, but so informed consent care is becoming more and more practice as well, where it's, it's almost like anything else. It's like your uh, therapist and your doctor will help you make the best decision that you can, but it's ultimately up to you as, as the patient, as the client, which, you know, it's, I think if somebody genuinely feels like this is the right thing to do, that they've done their homework, they've done all the things, who am I to tell them that this is the wrong thing for them to do with their body? And so I I hope that that continues to grow and to continue to be an accepted, um, you know, way to, to work with clients and with patients. Now in your own journey, uh, are, are you complete? Do you have other things that you're looking to do? It's it's an important question. And I think, you know, we, um, like, I, like I mentioned, that there's sort of this kind of expectation, or at least this was my experience, that, uh, you know, having your medical transition, having your social transition, that it's kind of done. Um, but, you know, for me, it's kind of been like it's now been 10 years uh, since I started my transition. And in some ways, it's kind of like now you're kind of living your life the way that you had always wanted to. And so, um, you know, for me, it's been really interesting because now that my um, I feel like I'm much more secure and more confident in how I see myself and how other people see me, um, too, vis-a-vis my gender identity, that you know, with my sexuality is coming out more, which I think in a lot of ways, if, if only just sort of logistically, I kind of had to put on the back burner. Um, so that's been different and something that I think, you know, might never have come out if I if I hadn't decided to to go forward with, with my transition. And also too, kind of like your experience as a trans person, or at least for me, changes over time. So I'm in in my sort of trans identity now as a 29 year old is different than it was, you know, when I was a 22 year old. So, and I think all of us certainly, we continue to grow as people and also as trans people. (laughs) Totally. So I think um, what's been in some ways difficult to navigate, but also, you know, when I think about it, something that I'm grateful for and that I think is almost, it's a really beautiful thing is that we do continue to develop even like long past, you know, sort of our quote unquote transition proper um, and that things continue to develop and that we, you know, we continue to grow as people and uh, bring more things to our lives, um, you know, from our transition, but then also from other aspects, too, of our identity as well. Well, yeah, and it, it sounds like you're channeling all that into a really good avenue. You Thank know? you. I'm so trying congratulations. to. <laughs> so that's really, I mean, I know, I know you still have a ways to go, yes. but that's just super exciting. You know, I think it's super, it's, it's obviously needed and obviously something that you're passionate about. So that's great. Thank you. My final question for you is, for what is something like if you were talking to the resistance or somebody that is just so far off the mark that's just like right 
kill all trans people. Like what? And and a lot of people right. are like, I just don't deal with that. You know. But okay, right. great. But at the same time, sometimes bridges need to be made in order for people to start to get a little more educated, which is a large part of what this podcast is about. Sure, sure. But like, what advice do you have for that type of person, or what is something you would relay to a person who is just like, I'm having none of this. Totally. And that's that's something that I have certainly struggled with for sure. And I'm sure a lot of people have is that it's almost like you have to pick your battles to a certain extent because it's it takes a lot of energy to be a queer person, I think, in general. Um, and particularly if as you know, if you add intersectional identities into that, too, there's just to be who we are takes just so much energy through the day. And, you know, I think um, for me, it's been important to acknowledge that just in my own experience and that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I know that I am somebody who I want things to change. And I also realize that if I don't do something, it's not going to happen in some ways. And that I do want to use the privileges that I have, which other people might not have. And I, I'm very conscious of that, too, to, you know, to try to. It's hard because like if some people are just so kind of into their beliefs, whatever it may be that it's almost like I could say all the things, but they're not really going to change that much. Well, they have to be open to it. Right. They have to be open to it. But if but, there's a small opening, what do you lob in there? Totally. And so... Because <laughs> sometimes there is. Right. No, totally. These these kind of um, preconceived notions that we have just become, you know, they, they grow so far out of proportion that just we sort of lose the sense of what actually is the real, the real situation, the real experience of folks. And so... Something that I, you know, aspire to, certainly, and I have a long way to go before I feel like I'm going to, you know, really feel like I'm making a difference. And it's sort of a lifelong thing, I think, too, for me. But that I just want to show that, you know, trans folks and, you know, LGBTQ folks, we are all people. I mean, we all love people the same way that uh, cis-hetero folks, cisgender heterosexual folks do. I think there are more common threads than are usually acknowledged and that we just particularly in the way that um, politics and just society is in the U.S. these days, it's just it's so polarized. And I think there is sort of just a kind of mood, just it's easier to stay sort of behind your lane, like, you know, or stay in your lane, whatever that idiom is. Right. I think if people really genuinely do want to learn more that there is, there are a lot of folks who I can understand, uh, you know, in the trans community who are just kind of like, people are going to have their beliefs. It might be more kind of wasted breath for me to try to change things. But I think for me personally, that um, it's, you know, making sort of that human connection. And then that's really hard. And I almost, in some ways, part of me is like, you know, it's not up to me to educate people. I, I, I you know, that's a very loud sometimes But a leading voice. by example. Yeah, leading by bad. example. And not out that hard either exactly you know, exactly like, um and I, I think it's i think you're right it's about sort of just the first step and if like both sides to some extent do need to be willing to meet if not in the middle but just closer to it and that's that's huge that's a huge thing to do and i don't mean to say that it's an easy thing um but i think if we can just make you know steps in that direction you know and people being willing just just to listen I think is hugely important. Like I think this podcast is huge. Yeah. If, if you if you know um, someone has listened to five minutes of this, that's that's a win for me. Right. Well, that's so. great, and I really support and appreciate where you're going, and it's exciting. I thank you for taking the time to be here thank and to so share your story because it's a great one. And uh, again, like anybody that's out there that's listened to this, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at subtractive dot net, and that'll be in the description as well. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming, and uh, we will have to have you back when you've got your degree. 
agree. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back. All right. Well, thank you, Jordy. <laughs> and uh, check us out next week on Trans Story. Special thanks to Vigiletti and Goon for the track Likeable, which is out on Subtractive Records this summer. Go check out Likeable. Thanks for listening to this episode of Trans Story. Be sure to check back for our future episodes. They'll be posted weekly. If you'd like to send us an email, just send us an email at podcast at subtractive.net. Trans Story was recorded at Subtractive Inc. in Santa Monica, California. Copyright 2019.